Welcome to Sunday Celebrations. This is the podcast version of a radio show that airs on Easy Music 3MP in Melbourne every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. Each week, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives, we chat to the people who have each played their part in shaping life in Melbourne. Our special guest this week is Bianca Chatfield. Bianca was one of the youngest players who ever debuted for the Australian Diamonds netball team at the age of only 18. She went on to play 59 games for Australia, which included both gold and silver medals at the Commonwealth Games. Australia's triumphant 2007 Netball World Cup, as well as a host of other Premiership victories, awards and medals. In 2016, Bianca launched her first book called Every Girl Needs a Plan, which seeks to empower women and find their passion, which I think is amazing. Bianca works across a variety of TV and radio shows, and in 2018, of course, was quite a profile member of the team on the block, alongside her friend and former teammate, Carla Zawaki. Welcome to Sunday Celebrations, Bianca Chatfield. Did I stuff any of that up? No, you didn't. Thanks for having me firstly. But no, you didn't. I think you nailed it all. I was, you know, kind of nodding along going, yep, that happened. Yep, that happened. So well done. Yeah, I should say we're doing this little radio chat over Zoom. So we can actually see each other. You can't see us, but we can see each other. So I was getting the nods and I'm getting that affirmation as I'm chatting about I haven't actually completely cocked this up, which is great. <laughs> don't like doing that. But to be honest, there's so much in there that I think, oh, did I even do all of that? Like it's, it just seems like it was a lifetime ago that I played netball and that I was an athlete. But um, yeah, it was only five years ago since I retired. Does it all feel like a blur though? Yeah, it does. And, you know, when you're in it and you're in the moment, you're so desperate to make it work and you're so desperate to achieve the things that you have in your head that you want to. So for me with netball, once I made the Australian team, it was always, I want a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games and I want a gold medal at the World Champs. Like, I mean, might as well aim high. (laughs) Uh, And then you're just so driven and so competitive. And I mean, athletes always have a bit of a selfish hat on too. Even though we play a team sport, you've got to be quite selfish to be able to get these things and to be able to make them happen. Um, And so, yeah, you're in it and you're just so focused with your blinkers on and it's not till you really retire and you step out of it, you're like, wow, one, how did I do that? But two, I've been so disconnected with the real world for so long because I've been so driven in my athlete life. Where did that drive start? Was Was it well before the netball stuff? always been competitive and I've got uh, an older sister and a younger sister and my older sister is so probably sick of hearing me tell this story but she was always the one that really loved netball and really loved playing sport and my family grew up down the Mornington Peninsula I grew up in the little town called Somerville and my mum and dad were just all about being outside and being active so don't stay inside and school holidays we get in trouble if we're watching the tv so you know we did everything we had horses growing up we'd ride our horses and um but I'd watch my sister play netball and I was just that bored annoying sister that would you know I wouldn't sit on the sidelines I'd watch her and I'd be like I could do better and then when it came my opportunity to play netball and I played a lot of basketball as well but once I got into the to playing netball I would watch her and I would listen to her and I'd see how she'd be climbing the ranks you know she'd make a rep team and then she'd try out for a state team and and it wasn't just seeing the levels that she got to. It was also taking on um, the emotion. She was a goaler and I was a defender. So I would watch her and after a game, if she hadn't shot too many goals or she had a bad percentage, I could see her talking to mum and dad and being like really disappointed. And I used to kind of look at that and think, why? Like, you can't let it get to you that much, can you? Mm. You know, typical typical younger kid who could just watch your older sister and almost follow in her footsteps but learn some great lessons along the way that I was subconsciously <laughs> taking in 
Uh, and then I just started to see her get attention for it too and how good's Natalie and, oh, you're Natalie's little sister. And then I was like, right, I'm going to show everyone now that <laughs> I don't want to be just the little sister anymore. Yeah, and she drove me a lot until kind of I got to the stage where um, I was, you know, in other state teams. She might have been in the older age group. Mm. I was in the younger age group. And then I started kind of climbing ahead. And then I started to feel a bit guilty because I knew it was her dream to play for Australia. And here I was at 18 just going, oh, now I play for Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Is being the middle of three a safe place to be as a kid? A comfortable oh, place? I, I think so. I think it's easier than being the eldest because the eldest probably takes on a lot of the hard lessons from the parents and you mm. get to just make sure you don't do the wrong thing the way she did it and get, not get in trouble. <laughs> but also my younger sister is 11 years younger than me. Right. So there was a big age gap. So she's more like my little buddy, but I was never really growing up in the household where we were both getting in trouble or both trying to steal each other's clothes like I was with my older sister. <laughs> do you remember the day that suddenly the, the parents penny drop that you're pretty good at this thing you're obviously a tall girl but did, did it did the penny drop um look i i don't think it actually the penny really dropped and this might sound ridiculous but i had a real quick climb to the top and mm. my sister even said to me oh you know you can hand it everything on a silver platter and I was like, no, I don't. You know, it, it does take work but I just used to be able to process a lot of the the mental pressure quite well so I didn't let that get me down I didn't get emotional over my performances I just wanted to play and I wanted to be better mm. and so once I made you know I made state teams and I'm zooming through the early part but as an 18 year old to be selected into the Australian open netball team like the thing that you aspire to for so long to get it so early I actually don't think the penny really dropped for me until I actually made that team and then I realized how hard it is to stay there because I made it because an opportunity came up. One of the girls was pregnant who was a, an older defender and they gave an opportunity when there wasn't much happening in the netball world in that year to, for a young kid to see if the potential really could eventually grow to something else. And so, I again, it was right timing. I wasn't the best defender to be picked in that team, but they were ready to give a younger player a go at that stage. Mm. And um, but yeah, once I got into that, I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be huge amount of work to stay there because you get all this glory for making the team. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, hang on a minute. Now I've got to be able to keep that up every single year. And that's when it really does get tough. And it's hard to stay in front. Many years ago, I read a book called Blue Ocean Strategy, which I live by now. And it, it, it relates to business, but it also relates, I think, to any kind of life uh, experience, but how hard it is to stay in front if you like or it's how you know once you achieve something that you've always wanted to do how hard it can be to stay there to give you the tools to be able to cope with that i think because you reached the australian diamonds at 18 you know you were the young girl that you know for for probably at least two or three years after that you were seen as being this incredible person that got there at, at 18 but then suddenly you were 22 23 um and then you've got to maintain that level of performance that's right. And and I it, it's maintaining the level of expectation that yeah. you have on yourself, but also that you feel like other people have for you and on you, but they, they don't, but you just feel like they do. And you feel like, who am I if I'm not now playing for Australia? So I made it that first year, I got dropped the next year. And so I'm this now 19 year old where everyone's like, oh, you play for Australia and then I'd be like, no, I don't, I got dropped. <laughs> like, so then I was like, how embarrassing. I've gone from the highs to now the lows of being, oh, I'm that disappointment that, you know, got dropped after their first year. I mean, I did get back in and, I, you know, I did have a, obviously a great career. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it was dealing with the expectations that I put on myself and constantly 
try to push myself forward and try and do everything because we're female athletes at, at, and, you know, getting far underpaid way back then. So I had a lot of people telling me, you know, you've got to have your career outside of sport. You've got to be able to earn money. You've got to be able to, and I was really determined to live in the city because training was in the city every night. I didn't want to travel back and forth from the peninsula. So, you know, I had all of these other expectations that I had to, I could not just focus on athlete life. Um, It turned out to be a blessing to have a bit more of a well-rounded life like that and having to have a job and having to just, you know, figure out all the other stuff in life other than just being an athlete so uh yeah so many lessons along the way that um you just have to pack into like a 17 year career just really chock it full of everything by the end you come out and you finally take a breath looking through the looking through the cv and as you said at the start look it's hard to look back and think did i do all that stuff but it continues to roll on you're an author you've written a book i'll come back to that in a minute you've been on a variety of tv shows put your hand up to be on the block you're an educator, you, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a big list of stuff. Has that kind of say yes and figure out how you'll do it later type mentality, did that start right at that very early age of the netball when you were dropped as a 19-year-old and then you had to you had to bounce back from that? And you seem to just take on anything and have a crack at it. Yeah, look, I think it is. And I, I haven't been too scared of taking risks because – I think I've learned through sport, whether before I made the Australian team as well, like within an athlete's life, you win games, you lose games. So it's almost like you achieve things, you fail at things. Mm. And so I've been okay with failing. It hasn't been something that's worried me. Yes, you don't want it to happen. But in my life outside of netball, um, you know, I knew I'd have to do a million different jobs to try and earn enough money to support myself as an athlete living outside of home, living in the city on my own and trying to make it all work. Um, and I was okay to do that. I was okay to put in the effort. And um, I think a lot of the time it can be you say yes too much and then you f- like you, you're going crazy thinking, how am I going to do everything? And you're exhausted and you think, oh, imagine if I could just focus on being an athlete, I would have been amazing. Um, but I also credit a lot of that to just, it's just that willpower that you have. It's just that energy that you have to make things happen for yourself. And mm. I don't know, a quote that uh, an old coach used to say to me, she's like, if it's to be, it's up to me. So if I want something, then I've got to not rely on somebody else to do it for me, that I have to do it. So I kind of always, I guess, sat back on that and thought, you know what, if I want it, if I want the money, if I want the achievements, I've got to put in the work. And sometimes that means you sacrifice all the social stuff that uh, people get to do when they're young and carefree. (laughs) Yeah, look, and, you know, my childhood living and growing up in Frankston, um, you know, as it was at the time. And, and, you know, we did a lot of stuff. And I had friends of mine at the time who were and went on to be quite elite sports people. Um, and I was, you know, too busy bombing off the Frankston Pier trying to wet the old Greek people walking down the pier, right? Because that's what we did as a 14-year-old. <laughs> well, my mates were all off training and stuff like that. And I look at it now and I think, oh, maybe I should have done things a little bit differently. Maybe I should have not tried to wet all the old Greek people, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think too that... You have some real standout points where, you know, life just teaches you a real hard lesson. And for me, I was trying to be that kid that would socialize, you know, down the peninsula with my school friends and trying to be an elite athlete and trying to work and hold down a job and trying to go to uni and study. And it was, I think when I was about 25, 26, um, and I'd finally made my first Commonwealth Games team and I ended up getting glandular fever because 
I was running myself ragged trying to fit mm. everything into my life. And I was also trying to act my age. Like I would go out drinking on the weekends and then I'd be up at 6am and I'd be off to training. And, you know, that is just so not sustainable. And, it, you know, I really did have some moments where I just was whacked with a bit of reality and going, you know, come on, you've got to actually choose what you want to do. Yes, do some other things on the side, but be a bit more mindful that if you're going to commit to being an athlete, you've actually got to give it everything you have and and sacrifice those nights out and sacrifice that. And just, you know, the moments you do get to spend time with your friends and be that 25-year-old, make sure it's the time when you do rest and recover afterwards. So looking back on all that, particularly the sporting part of your life, and we'll come to you know, other bits in a minute, but is there one tip that the 16-year-old Bianca would, would give you at the moment is there something that if you look back that you would do maybe differently or a bit of advice that you'd give yourself um so i think when i first started playing netball and or basketball really i, I i'm six foot two so i found my place where i felt confident about myself being t- a tall girl and and you know being very unique and standing out in the crowd i used to feel really in, um worried about that and had quite low self-esteem when i was at school because of my height And so in playing sport like netball, you're around other tall girls. And I started to feel this real self-confidence and I I really found out my height was an asset. And so I think for me, I love the sport because of that. But I also spent a lot of time comparing myself to everybody else too, wanting to be as fit as somebody else, wanting to be as strong as someone else. And it was something that probably really I would do all throughout my career is that I constantly were comparing myself and not just staying in my own lane and focusing on what my strengths were. I would always want to be better or always want to be like somebody else. So yeah, that's one big thing that I wish that I had have learned or just been, you know, had the confidence to just be proud of who I was and what I offered to a team rather than always looking to what I could do better or what I had to look like or what I had to feel like and how I could be like somebody else. So it just took me a while, I think, to be really, really satisfied in my own skin and understand that who I am and what I bring to a team is enough and you don't have to be like somebody else. Is the author part of your life and the book from you know a few years ago now, Every Girl Needs a Plan, is that something you're going to continue? Is that you feel like it's a it's something that will will evolve over time more and more and more? Yeah, I do a lot of work in the leadership space now because of that. I I did go to uni and do a teaching degree and I taught for a couple of years very part-time in schools. And for me, that education part, working with young people, realising that I am so lucky to have a huge athlete career where I have all these experts helping me with who I am and how I can be better and how I can look after myself that I just wanted to be able to pass on all of those lessons and learnings to other people, like just pay it forward and, you know, see who else I can help and help believe in themselves because, yeah, I feel like I've been a very, lived a very privileged life Um, and that's where the book came from and so I do a lot of work not so much as a direct teacher now but just around and working with connecting with young people to try and not inspire but more so just empower Mm. to you know live the life that they want to live and not be so sidetracked with all the noises that often go on in our head telling us we can't do it. So where did the block come from whose idea yours or Carla's? Oh okay the block was definitely mine Uh, (laughs) my dad is a builder down on the peninsula and so I've spent how I used to earn money as a kid was I'd go onto the building site with him and he would pay me to like put the insulation in the walls of, you know, whatever house he was building at the time and, or, you know, pick up all the leftover pieces of timber and put it in the bin. Like that, that was kind of my, how I earned pocket money. Um, So I loved it. So I've always been around it and I would watch that show. And then my 
bloody competitive nature in me would be like, oh, can't be that hard. I could do that. Surely I could do that. Um, and yeah, so I convinced Carla to do it, who's one of my great mates. And we played together for a few years, but we were both retiring at the same time too. And she'd renovated her first place and it scared the life out of her, but I loved helping her with it. So I was like, right, we need to do the show. We've both got time now. Took us a couple of years to get on. It wasn't that easy to get on. Um, but yeah, it's been... I don't know. I don't want to say it's been a dream of mine, but it's been certainly something on my bucket list that I wanted to do. And yeah, I, I crazy again, I probably <laughs> aim a bit too high on some things, but <laughs> anyway, it's, it was awesome. I loved it. Well, well you certainly were, had the reputation and, and on the show and off as being the, the really calm collected builders and renovators. You guys were very hard to, to flap. If that makes sense. <laughs> Uh, yes, and they did try many times uh, to get under our skin or to rock the boat a little bit. Um, but again, it's the lessons you learn from playing a team sport in that yeah. Carla and I had been part of teams where you have conversations with each other, like what makes you feel uncomfortable? You know, what scares you? What worries you? How can I support you? And so we went into the show as if we were going into a major tournament and going, okay, as teammates, what are you worried about? How can I cover you? And we had this real solid connection as a team. And even with all of our trades we employed, we were straight away onto being very inclusive and making sure that they knew that we would work as hard as we could for them. And we had expectations that, you know, we wanted from them. And we just built this great team around us of people. And we had the best time. It was the one of the, honestly, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in a three month period of mm. time. Cause it is brutal and you don't get any sleep. Um, but the fact that we had each other's back is the real reason that we got through so calmly. Um, and our problem-solving nature, you just have that in sport. Mm. That if something doesn't go right, you're okay to fix it and you're okay to get negative feedback because <laughs> coaches are always telling you what you need to do better. And this year's block was crazy, wasn't it? <laughs> crazy. The auction was even crazier. <laughs> yes, $4 million. Like it just... <laughs> Unbelievable. So 2020, how did, you, um, how did you find the year? I know that seems like a really obvious and dumb question, but everybody's take on it's been a bit different. Was it, it was quieter? Yes, it was much quieter. And, and I'm sure people listening are probably like, whoa, this chick is exhausting with all the stuff that she's done and doing. But let me tell you, 2020 was probably, again, that lesson and that whack of reality that I needed in that taking on all these different projects in all different areas. And I then, everything I do is with people, connecting with people, working with crowds, working, you know, with teams. And mm. um, so, yeah, all of a sudden that all stopped. And I was sitting there, I think in March and thinking, oh, this can't be going on for too long. Like, you know, I'll take, you know, it'll be a month and then two and then six. And anyway, cut a long story short, it really taught me that, you had to stop and that things that we were doing that I was wanting to do were just kind of, you know, stuff that was superficial and not necessarily stuff that was really grounding or that meant a lot to me. Um, and then I had to start saying no. And I was panicking a little bit there about, I was looking to buy a property and renovate it. And I was panicking going, oh no, now who knows whether I'm going to get a loan because I'm no longer getting an income. And so I had those same kind of fears and worries that a lot of people were going through. Um, so I had a few quiet months where there was not much happening, um, but I just took the time to study a few courses online and, and just try and learn and just let myself actually be in the moment. Um, and I, you know, even just going for a walk around Melbourne in our 5K zone, um, 
I appreciated autumn more than I've ever appreciated autumn before because seeing the leaves every morning when you get up and go for a walk and it was just magical. And now I'm trying to set myself for some boundaries for next year. So I make sure I take some of those good lessons and quiet times into my life and take on projects that I want to do and that are good for me to do and not just everything and anything. I spoke to Kevin Shady last week and we were talking uh, in the in the program last week and we were talking about how the simple things in life that we missed in 2020 are going to be magnified so much next year. And both he and I are grandfathers um, and simple things like taking our grandkids to the footy was just something that we possibly took for granted in the past, but because of this past year are going to mean the world to us next year. Do you have one of those things that you've missed dearly that you just can't wait to do next year? <laughs> Well, I think that is just connecting with family and friends. And, you know, in my world, you're often going to events and functions and and everyone from the outside thinks, oh, that's so cool. How amazing. And yes, yes, it is. But you also are constantly spending a lot of your time with a chunk of people who you don't even know, Mm. but you have to go to these things all the time. And it just really made me realize that when I have time, I want it to be quality time with the quality people in my life and not just everyone and anyone. Mm. So, you know, I think that for me is going down the peninsula and spending time with my family and my partner's family are in Sydney and, and just, yeah, being able to actually go and see them. Who ever thought we'd never be able to drive down the peninsula? (laughs) Without getting arrested. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Where do we live? Yeah. So I think it's just, yeah, definitely about the quality time now and not spreading myself too thin. Well, thank you so much for being a part of Sunday Celebrations this week. I, I hope 2021 brings everything that you hope it does and has have a wonderful Christmas with family. And now that we actually can literally do family Christmas uh, not on Zoom, which would be lovely, <laughs> which would be great. So thank you again. Really appreciate the time. No worries at all. The Sunday Celebrations radio show airs on Easy Music 3MP in Melbourne every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. This is the final episode of Season 1. We'll be back with Season 2 in 2021. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. I'm your host, Grant Johnston. Thanks for listening.